Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Tangent. Uh, this is Isaac. I'm just dropping this PSA here at the beginning of the podcast this week. Uh, at the time of recording this episode, we were not on Apple Podcasts, but now we are. So if you're listening on an iPhone, if you could hop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, that would be really helpful uh, for us to get discovered and get some new listeners. Um, our first episode has gotten a lot of uh, nice responses, so we appreciate that from everyone. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Are we recording a podcast? When did that start? A podcast for me. You shouldn't have. I think you need to talk louder. You need to scoot up. Yeah. You need to talk louder. Podcast for me. You shouldn't have. Say it with your chest. You know what I found out? <laughs> what did you find out? I found out that, wait, Phil Collins did the Tarzan soundtrack. I you mean, didn't know Phil Collins did the Tarzan no. soundtrack? Okay, but get this. I played uh, Feel It Coming, right? My Stop heart. it. So I, pl- I played that song, right? Yeah. Or In the Air. What's it called? Uh, One of those. You guys uh, know the song. I, right? I, just know, I just know it from Lasagna Cat. Coming in the air tonight. Yeah. yeah. So I... I played that song for Rainy, and she had never heard that song before. And then she was like, wait, is this the guy from Tarzan? I was like, I don't know. And then we played the Tarzan soundtrack, and it was Phil Collins again. Yeah. Two worlds, one family. <laughs> Trust your heart. Let fate decide. We're going to have to pay for this now. <laughs> for example, did you ever want to go one place when the gang wanted to go somewhere else? What did you do? Did you ever want to go one place? What did you do? For example, the gang wanted to go somewhere else. What did you do? Everybody talking about bagism, shagism, dragism, madism, ragism, tagism. What are you what doing? Is, what, is what is happening? You know, just like. Come on, go with me. I don't know what All we're doing. we are saying I don't know this one. What are, what are we doing? Is please wear a mask. Come on, guys. You got, you got to join okay, so in. You got to join in. Come on. All we are saying Wait, is that how it goes? Yeah. I, I thought I recognized it. Then you said, please wear a mask, and you lost me. Hi, and welcome to Tangent. I'm Jameson Wileman. I'm Isaac Hopwood. I'm Maxwell Mahoney. Maxwell John Lennon cover Mahoney. That's what we call him. I'm, I'm actually more like Maxwell, your mom. And that's the truth. <laughs> just, <laughs> just brilliant. This brilliant. Is the worst podcast on the planet. And you're listening. Isn't that great? How you guys I'm doing? I'm so proud of that joke, guys. Oh, I bet you are. How you guys doing? I think you wrote that down last week. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I see yeah. it in our Discord, actually. You said, I'm going to say Maxwell, your mom, Mahoney. Mm. He's planned yeah. that for a while. Dang. Like, yeah. yeah. And uh, if you're going to comment or anything on this video, we'd like it if that's how you referred to him as. Mm-hmm. And once again, we're keeping up the trope that this is a video podcast. We're continuing that this <laughs> Did week. I say something else? No, you didn't. You, you, you definitely didn't. Keep okay, fine. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask you guys how you're doing. You know, how how we doing? How we feeling? All things considered, doing okay? Yeah, Max? Great. Great, great. No one can see you nodding, but I think that that... That means you're doing okay. okay. Yeah. All right. I'm terrible. I'm doing terrible. <laughs> oh, okay. Because of this That's comment I got on a video. 
Oh no. I get it. I'm so broken up about the, it. Oh no, the internet. Yeah. You got on, like, like you commented on a random video and someone commented on your no, comment? No, this, this is on a video I made. Oh. And then someone commented on it and it made me frustrated to a level I didn't know I was capable of. Like Andy from The Office. Yes, I, I did punch a hole in my wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put googly eyes over it, and now it's got its own little personality. That's cool. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Tell us about this comment. I will. I, 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 you guys have seen it. This is not an ad for my YouTube channel, but I made a, a video called The Arkansas Flag Needs to Change, in which I talked about how one of the stars on the Arkansas flag symbolizes the Confederacy and how I thought that was less than good. Uh, right? And I said that should be changed. And then this comment happened, and it just shook my world. I wanted to read it to you guys. I wanted to get your reaction to it. I'm not going to say this guy's name, but here we are. The beginning of the comment. What about it? I'm black and from Arkansas. The flag means that Arkansas is the only state with diamonds, hence the shape. 25 stars means it was the 25th state to join the U.S. Red, white, and blue represents USA. The other three stars on the bottom represent Spain, France, and the United States, countries that had earlier ruled the land that includes Arkansas. The star on the top, however, can go, because it represents that Arkansas used to be a Confederate state. But other than that, there is nothing wrong with my state flag. So I replied to this comment, and I said, Yeah, dog, that's what the video says. Because <laughs> that is Indeed it does. almost <laughs> word for word in certain parts what my video says. <laughs> To which he then replied, and this is what really gets to me, and we're going to have a discussion about this, but this is what really gets to me. So just sum up the video and just say, take the top star off. And I replied one more time. I said, I was providing context, kind of like you with that paragraph you wrote. That was the end of the discussion. But I, I, I have to, there's so much to this. And, and maybe you guys don't see it at first, but it's all I can think about. Because obviously this person posted this comment without watching the video, right? Would you say that? I think maybe. But if he... Or or, or maybe you just... Like, I personally feel like you got your point across pretty well in the video. Right. But maybe he didn't and misconstrued some facts. Or, or, or went into the video already knowing what they wanted to say. True. Yeah. And then he just repeated my argument in an accusatory way. That's what kind of gets to me. Is he felt it felt like he was criticizing me, but he agreed with me, mm-hmm. and I'm very confused. <laughs> and then when I pointed out that that is what I said, he told me to sum up my three minute and forty five second video by just saying that a thing I think I said about a minute into it. And maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm losing my mind over nothing, but. Maybe I am. <laughs> Maybe this is actually nothing. All right, podcast over. This is nothing. And I freaked out over nothing. No, no, keep going. You're okay, good. fine. Here's my thing. I wanted to use this comment because it's weird, it's odd, in, 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 a, in a unique way. And I think it's indicative of how we talk to each other online. Because this person who actually agrees with me is fighting me for some reason. I think I see this all the time on the internet. And it doesn't make sense to me. I, and uh, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on that. I wanted to talk about how we talk to each other on the internet. Because this podcast will be on the internet. 
And people will join in discourse about it and the things we say and our topics that we talk about. And we're going to have people who respond to our stuff in ways that we won't fully understand. And so I wanted to have a full-on discussion about how we communicate on the internet. I want to do that with you guys. Let's do it. Okay. Perfect. Do you guys have any more thoughts about this person and the way they communicated? We can edit out pauses. Mm Mm-hmm. And then this long slurp I'm going to take. (laughs) Perfect. You're welcome. Or you can just Um, leave that in. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, I think that a lot of people want to be right. I think all of us have something in us, whether we're online or in person, there's something in us that wants to be correct, right? Yeah. And so the internet kind of offers an avenue to which we can always enter discussions and always enter conflicts that we know we're going to win. Right. Like even if it's just in our own mind's imagination, right. Like we can't enter a, like some sort of social battlefield that we can, at least to us come out victorious. Do you, do you think people view the internet as a social battlefield? Uh, you can hop on Twitter Oh uh, uh, yes, it, the flaming hellscape. I think it's de- I think it's definitely a social battlefield. You know, I mean, um, what used to be something that's just an expression of yourself is now like it has to be like the defining feature of like what you stand for. You know what I mean? It has to represent everything that you believe in. Yeah, we used to have these places that were just for. Here's a thought I had. Yeah. And now it's the place we go to every day to war over I, the ideas of our country mm-hmm. in a weird way, which is scary that yeah. we created these these systems. Yeah. But it's also it, interesting that like I feel like different social medias are used for different forms of discourse. Like uh, Twitter, obviously, I feel like is much more political uh, or Instagram per se is much more like, how would you say? Uh, plagued but, by influencers. Yes, <laughs> yes, and, and it's about like showing, People trying to sell you things mostly, selling selling things and like uh, just basically kind of showing off. Um, yeah, but like all all, the, all these like different social medias are have different forms of discourse and ways of showing this form of like conflict. Yeah. What do you think is YouTube's discourse? What do you what do you think is the main like how do you think I, would... I think I think YouTube is less of a social platform I would agree and, with that and more of like a money making platform for yeah. YouTube it's definitely become that it's and more it's more it's more, I I feel like it leans more close to like a streaming service than it does to well yeah because they basically media. made it that way yeah you, you are following channels of content you yeah. are mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it. and so I think that that's a little bit different, but I mean, obviously anyone can upload a video about anything mm-hmm. and anyone can comment on those videos, like what we're talking about here. Yeah. But, and you know, like Max is saying, those different social networks have different purposes and, but it's possible that those different purposes are all scratching the same itch that we have for social interaction. Yeah. So maybe we'll get a little bit further into that as we go along, but I want you to go ahead and get started with, with what you have prepared here. Well, I have, I have some more stuff I wanted to talk about real quick. Sure. But I don't know. I, as we were talking about this, I, I thought about YouTube and how about... Okay, so Netflix doesn't have a thing where you go on there and you comment on the thing you just watched. 
Sure. Yeah, like that doesn't exist, but YouTube does. It's very loose as far as like Netflix, not exactly, but yeah. like IMDb, you can rate things. But that's the yeah, extent yeah. of that. What's interesting is that the comments are part of the entertainment. Yeah. On YouTube. For sure. Like yeah. there's the content that is the video just watched and there's the content of the comment you're reading. It is part of the appeal. It's part of the streaming service. And there are even some videos that are, I would argue, are like specifically just for the comments. You yeah. haven't watched the video. I've found mm -hmm. more entertainment in comments than I have in videos in the past. That's for certain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's interesting. I And uh, it actually goes into kind of what we're talking about. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I wanted to... I wanted to read a couple of lines from this uh, document I found uh, from a keynote address from Professor Harold Thimbleby, Thimbleby, Harold Thimbleby, which is a fantastic name. And I'm sorry, Harold, for mispronouncing it there. But also, you deserve it. Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> whatever, Harold's Perfect. never, he's never going to listen to this. <laughs> and if you are, Harold, I double down on it. You suck and you deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> Anyhow, um... I don't actually know anything about Harold as a person, so anyhow. Let's keep talking more about Harold. <laughs> he's, a, he's a professor in a British university, and he wrote uh, this speech. It's either a paper or a speech uh, about internet discourse. His main paper is about how, uh, how it's changing and the potential it has. But this is a quote for him I wanted to talk about. He said, writers create worlds that are inhabited by many characters who may tell different stories on the internet we find people in spoken slash written correspondence taking on new identities for themselves. Mm. I thought this was really interesting because, and I think he's right. There's the people we are um, day to day. And then there's the people we are on the internet. There's the persona we throw on when we comment. Uh, you know, we're basically actors uh, when we go on to stuff like YouTube. We are part of their monetary system. You provide YouTube with free content when you go on there and you write a comment or you make a video. But more so than that, you create an identity for yourself on these places. So it's not even so much that you are, you guys were talking earlier about how people go on these places and, and they, they, they become battlegrounds. It's interesting that this is kind of, these are the places where people go to become warriors in a sense, that mm. people's identities have online have turned into that. I, I think that's weird and intriguing. You know, like this idea that maybe we want to be fighters and warriors and we live that passion through internet discourse, maybe. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea is we all have a desire to fight for something worthwhile mm -hmm. and specifically on something like Twitter or Reddit or something where it's much more based around the discourse than it is around the content. Yeah. Um, well, sometimes, you know, this example we are talking about now is around YouTube comments, which is still true. Um, we strive to support something that has meaning because all of us, like, inertly want to be passionate about something that matters. Yeah, and we want to appear that way to people. Sure. Like, that's, like, you know, you're putting on my mom. I was talking to my mom about this. That's right. I talked to my mom <laughs> about things. Perfect. <laughs> I know. Um... And she, she, she described it as people putting on a face is what she said, uh, which is uh, a her generation way of saying, you know, acting, you know, of creating an identity for yourself. Yeah, something you mentioned about comments becoming the content. I think something like with Reddit is that it actually numerically quantifies that with karma, right? So yeah. 
it kind of encourages you to participate in the ecosystem of Reddit by like positively reinforcing you um, whenever you make a funny comment or a relevant comment on a subreddit, right? Because you right. get the more like your karma is the number of upvotes you get, and so if you say something really funny or say something that people want to hear and you get a lot of upvotes, then you're going to get a lot of karma, right? So it kind of yeah. is built into the ecosystem of how the whole system works. But at the mm-hmm. same time, that's not... Um, what that do, what that can do is it can create like basically a group of like-thinking people, you know, where like, especially on Reddit, because Reddit is kind of a bunch of clones of the same person, <laughs> Or else it feels like that sometimes, where everyone's upvoting things uh, that they like and that they appreciate. And of course, you have the niches of Reddit, in which individual communities can upvote each other. But as a whole, Reddit has rules, and it, it, it has certain unspoken rules, that is, about what it will upvote and what it will downvote. It creates a, mm-hmm. a like-minded group of people. Especially in r slash dank memes. Yeah, there's I mean... Like, there's like a whole community of like... yeah this is this shouldn't even be on this page or like you know yeah discourse on the internet kind of creates this fractalization of uh, not or that's not the right word it creates groups like internet discourse does or I, in my experience it creates groups that uh, of like-minded people who reinforce their own ideas about the world which in some cases that's the most beautiful part about the internet yeah in some because cases. you know a lot of things have a lot of groups or clubs or whatever that would never have had a chance of being formed or like active, have active members can come together, you know, really, really niche groups of like really niche hobbies or, um, you know, random things like that can thrive on the internet because of just that opportunity that the internet gives. Yeah. Like my favorite subreddit is called bread stapled to trees. That's a great one. It is a subreddit of pictures of bread <laughs> stapled to trees. Yeah. So so something like that, <laughs> but even even to the extent that it allows people who live in rural areas or areas that would never be able to take part of the global stage. Yeah, exactly. Gives them that opportunity. For sure. And like if you want to be a part of a subculture that would only really otherwise exist in a highly populated, highly culturally saturated environment, you can hop onto Reddit into a very niche subreddit and suddenly like you are right at the pulse of what everyone is thinking yeah. and how everyone's operating. And that's kind of interesting. Back to the whole identity things. Our, our offline selves are, you know, community based in our actual communities where we are geographically, but online we are suddenly global people. Our identity is shaped that into that, that global outlook of the world, the connectedness to everything and all, and we have all this information. And so our identity on the internet can be vastly different than our mm-hmm. ourselves in our reality. And especially how we interact with each other. I, I love this YouTuber, Max knows this, called um, Internet Comment Etiquette. Uh, and often, and his whole channel is about kind of mocking how terrible we are to each other online. I think he says it is a sh- his show is about how we how people who are anonymous on the internet uh, interact with each other. Like, for instance, I don't think you, no one in face-to-face conversations is as mean to each other as they are on the internet. There's this 
anonymity, if you can call it that, not necessarily, like on places on Facebook, it is your name for the most part that's connected to your profile page. So you're not necessarily anonymous, but sure. there's these, there's the screen you get to hide behind when you make comments. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that actually goes back to what we talked about last week with human empathy, right? Yeah. By having a screen in front of our face instead of a human in front of our face, we get to disassociate with whatever empathy we might have felt beforehand, right? Yeah. And depending on the issue, you know, regardless of if a person's in front of you or not, you're still going to feel just as fired up about it. But with things, with issues that are so non-important, right? Yeah. So random and the types of issues that people get fired up about on the internet, half of those things or a vast majority of those things would never have caused any conflict any substantial conflict. It is incredibly, in 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 my case, I would say it is not necessarily difficult, but it's it's not necessarily easy to hate another human being, in my experience. But it is incredibly easy. I would say it's harder not to hate a bunch of ones and zeros that make an anime profile picture. (laughs) I mean, it's harder to hate. It's harder not to hate that than that. Than to to not. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's you know because you can. You said it. You said disassociate. Like it's you're no longer angry at a person. You're angry at the pixels that form a person. That's that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Max, were you gonna mention something? Yeah, I was gonna mention uh like in terms of like when we have like genuine human conversation like face to face. There's always the connection of like seeing their eyes or their expressions and how they respond to what you say and you're never going to get that like at all with like internet conversation unless you're just like hit me up on like google duo you know we're taking this to google duo that's not going to happen yeah yeah for sure and that's i mean i always hated texting like even Mm -hmm. people i know and even people Mm -hmm. like i know how they talk i know how they communicate over text, you can still misinterpret the people you mm-hmm. know better than anyone. Here's an interesting... This is back to that... Uh, this is back to Harold Thimbleby, that jerk, uh, and his paper. Uh, this is something he said in his introduction. Uh, and we're going to have this link down below. Um, he says there are two... And he's a... I forgot to mention this earlier. He is a professor of computer science. That would have been great to know <laughs> earlier. It's not just some professor. He is... A, this, is his, this is his life. Uh, This is something he said, there are two contrasting modes of human communication which correspond to the spoken and written word. In spoken discourse, communication is sequential, spontaneous, and conversational. Tangential, maybe even. Yeah, yeah, sure. Shut up. (laughs) I'm reading. In written discourse, communication is planned, and neither its creation nor consumption need be sequential. So what's interesting here uh, is that He's right. Conversational is spontaneous and it is uh, based on uh, you reacting to what I say and me reacting to what you say. Internet has that element to it, except it's also written into a sense. It is planned conversation. People can uh, think about what they're going to say before they write it, but it mimics speech, even though it's not. Or it's a new form of speech. It has the, the... it wears the clothes of conversation when it's actually written discord. I think that's very interesting how we we don't think about it. Or maybe it's just me. I often don't think about these comments I see as such. I, I th- In my mind, the comments I read is a conversation I'm having when in actuality, 
it's sort of the illusion of conversation. I think what it can do is cause us to have an unhealthy feel safe, right? Like it allows us to, it just adds a level of hiding behind the screen, right? right. Because, you know, it, it also adds to the, to the certainty of adversary, if that makes sense. So it's almost like, you know, if I stumble on my words when I'm speaking and accidentally say something I didn't mean, yeah. and I go back and correct it, generally that's taken with grace, you know yeah. what I mean, in a conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas when someone says something in an email, in a tweet, in a YouTube comment, yeah, especially in a tweet when you can't go back and edit it or an yeah. email, right? Mm -hmm. Then it's like, I have written proof that this is what you said and this is what you meant, right? And so yeah. it kind of adds to the level of hostility you feel when someone says something that you don't agree with. People because don't have you the know... grace of a conversation. Because exactly. we, we like to think of these interactions as conversation when in reality they're not. Even though people make the same mistakes in internet speech as they do in offline speech. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Neato. <laughs> I'm going to bring up another article. This is uh, Power Online, the Internet as Discourse. Uh, this is written for the societypages.org, and it is an article by Ruth Tassuria. I hope that's your last name, and I said it correctly. Ruth, in contrast to that, Son of a gun, Thimbleby uh, is probably a fine person too. Both of these people are probably just fine. She has a lot to say on, um, more like we were talking about the groups that we form on the internet. She has uh, a lot written about that. But this is what um, struck me in her article. She says, online, the individual user is communicating with the masses. They are out in the street, or at the marketplace, or at the school, or at church, even if they are physically alone in bed, online you converse with everyone. I thought that was very interesting. Like, we don't think of posting something on the internet as standing on a street corner with a megaphone giving your opinion, but that's exactly what that is. You are on an open place, and you are just speaking your mind to whoever will listen. The mm -hmm. difference being that you can filter in those voices on the internet, I suppose, but... In many ways, especially with how hashtags work and uh, the way algorithms on places like YouTube work, you are standing in the middle of a street, just screaming out into the void. <laughs> and it's never, it's never been how I've thought about how I communicate on the internet as that sort of way. It's, it's an odd thing because standing on a street corner screaming your ideas is not socially acceptable in most places, uh, in most forms that is. It's a little different than a protest per se, but doing it online is incredibly exceptional. And I think that goes back to that anonymity we feel or that security we feel on the internet. There's this um, level of vulnerability that exists uh, offline that is gone online. So maybe people say mean things or rude things or things they wouldn't characteristically say online because they don't feel as vulnerable or open uh, or, or as closed off, that is, as they do when they are online. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you think, I mean, it, it doesn't, it's not too difficult to imagine, but what would it look like if online discourse 
was just taken away. Right? I mean... And, and like, uh, we were only left with, like, human conversation? Is that what you mean? Sure. I mean, like, it wasn't that long ago that that was a reality, right? So Yeah. So how much has human psychology really changed in that amount of time? I'm not sure if human psychology has changed. I think too, the world has changed and human psychology has had to adapt to it in a sense. Like, I mean, you can't say, I don't know, an apple on a table won't fall to the ground, but you remove the table and suddenly it will. If we, it'll rest on the ground. Like, but the apple always would have fallen to the ground. I think how we interact on the internet is how human beings always would have interacted on the internet. You know, I just think that now we know because the table's been ripped out from underneath us. You know, I don't know if psychology has changed. I think the world has changed and human beings have taken their place in that. Hmm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we, we really don't have any conclusion from this, but it is interesting to always think about the role we have to play. And, you know, I think that it is always worthwhile to be more genuine than it is to put up a facade, you know what I mean? Like, even if the people we're chatting with on the internet have, you know, anime logos <laughs> as, their, as their avatar on hey, YouTube. Real quick, if you have an anime logo as your profile picture, I do hate you, and I am, <laughs> no, uh, no, you're fine. You're absolutely fine. So I think it's always worthwhile to treat the person behind the phone as a human you know, even if the consequences are null, yeah, it's always worthwhile. And I, it, I mean, I, empathy seems to be a reoccurring theme on this podcast, which I'm all for because I think empathy's the coolest. <laughs> but um, I guess it's just always having to realize that that person you're interacting with is a human, even if they're the ones being horrible to you. Like that's a person that's. And I, by the way, this goes back to that guy who or whoever they were who said that thing to me, that person wasn't being horrible. What I looked at when I saw their comment was confusion. I was wondering if you didn't watch the video, why say this? Or if you did watch the video, why say this? And, and there's no good answer to it. And, and I guess that's what's interesting to me is that the internet has given a platform for nonsense language to take place. And I think it's dumb to get worked up about it. Because it's nonsense, you know? I want to maybe cap off this part of the conversation with a quote from uh, Ruth again to Syria. Discourse is created and maintained by us, and so we can and must participate in it. True, some have more power to influence the discourse than others, but we can try and contribute to the discourses we are part of, online and offline. Like, it's our duty... It, Duty, <laughs> dear lord, it is our duty. <laughs> Thank you. It's our duty to take place in discourse. Like we have to. It's there, and people's ideas are shaped by it. It sucks that Twitter's a battlefield, but if you don't fight that battlefield, bad discourse can take place, and you know, bad ideas can take hold of a nation. And that sucks. It sucks that that's the way it is. But the tables ripped out from underneath us, and we kind of have to take a part of discourse, or else. You know, if we're not there fighting for empathy... I don't know if we necessarily have to. Like, to some degree, like, not being a part of it is being the better person. And I feel like some people can get that. Like, uh, like, for say, if I see someone spouting off, like, in anger on Twitter, I'm not going to be thinking good about that person. Right. Necessarily. Like, 
because I see that, I'm not going to be like, oh, well, they clearly know what they're talking about. They must be right. Um, to some degree, I think some people are definitely smart enough to think that, like, well, I can always step back and um, not be a part of that culture and be the better person. Sure. I, I, I agree with that. What were you going to say? Yeah, I think that there's something we haven't talked about is the people who choose not to be a part of that social discourse intentionally, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are, you know, people who understand the conversations being had there but choose to not participate, whether, like, yeah. just don't have a Twitter account, don't have an Instagram account, don't hop on Reddit, just, like, whatever. Yeah. And I don't think that they are any less noble or, you know, just because they're choosing not to put on the metaphorical warrior's mask, yeah. right? Um, and... Arguably, maybe these people are actually able to be more genuine than those of us who willingly become entrenched in the, you know, web of social media. I'd like to rephrase what I was saying because I communicated it poorly. But when I say be a part of discourse, I don't mean get into arguments with people online. I mean put out good ideas. Okay. Like because discourse is about like we are putting content out there, when we comment, when we post things. And I'm not saying fight people on the internet. I'm saying if you see a bad idea in the world, be the one who's putting the good idea out there. Mm-hmm. You know, Because if we don't do that, then these places are overrun with bad ideas and bad you know, politics and bad discourse. And good discourse exists when we put things with empathy out there in the world, when we talk about good things, when we lift each other up, when we need to be lifted up. That's just as much its discourse as any other thing, because it's all about communication. It's not necessarily about creating an argument with someone else. It is about being a good voice in a world that needs it. Maybe, and that's what I was trying to say when I said be a part of that. If Twitter's mm-hmm. a battlefield, then you're not necessarily lobbing grenades. You're more about building structures, or good even structures for people to find refuge in. Yeah, or even, you know, if you choose not to... If you, if you choose not to participate in that online platform, even just being that voice of reason and that good influence to the physical community around you, and arguably now more than ever, we need that. The gang wanted to go somewhere else. What did you do? Hey guys, uh, welcome to the podcast recommends. Oh, is, that, is that what time it is? Yeah. <laughs> it is we have entered the dominium domain that's, right. that's what i meant to say right domain i like dominium too i thought that was dope what does that mean yeah. i don't know i'm gonna google it while you anyway talk. welcome to the domain of the podcast recommends i'm maxwell and i am recommending midnight gospel on netflix tell us about it so yeah uh midnight gospel um it was a show released on 420 uh, this, this year? year? Yeah. For 2020. Yeah, for 2020. Oh my. Um, awesome. Oh, wait, is that that dope animated show? Yeah. I have seen that. I I, I haven't watched it. I've seen ads for it, and it looks very cool. It's a, it's actually made by the same writer and creator as uh, Adventure Time. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, w- one thing that I find, like, really hilarious about it is that always, that, like, th- this is going to sound kind of hypocritical, but I feel like a lot of podcasts kind of have this like air of pretentiousness. Um, but not us, though. <laughs> yeah, not us. Not us. Let's at everyone. All. Let's all say the word four twenty again and laugh at it. <laughs> One, two, three, four twenty. <laughs> oh, it's just me. It's just, it's just me. Like, that. oh my goodness. Okay. It's really embarrassing. Okay, continue. 
So yeah. Um, anyway, I feel like a lot of podcasts kind of just have this like air of pretentiousness to them, and Midnight Gospel like it, it is technically like a animated show that is literally a podcast episode essentially. What? Like it is like it, it is an episode that's like interviewing like a specific random person in this like universe. Um, I've also seen this like that. That is the format. Yeah. Of each episode is this person. And they, basically, like, they're just interviewing while like literal insanity is happening around yeah, them. Yeah. There's where, where, where they're, just, they're just having normal conversation while they're like getting beaten to a pulp, and people are like having like fascist over over runs from the government. <laughs> yeah. Or there's a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Or you're in a weird place where you're being turned into. Yeah. Like food or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Like the, the the conversation is not a part of the narrative. Yeah. Even though the conversation is the, the narrative. narrative. Yeah, it's in it's sense, interesting. It's I guess you could say there's two separate narratives mm-hmm. occurring at the same time that don't care about each other at all. <laughs> <laughs> How many sure. episodes is it? I think it's like maybe eight. Can't nice. remember specifically. But anyway, kind of back to the air pretentiousness. Like I feel like the show fully leans into that. It like embraces that pretentiousness and I love that. It's just like making fun of the idea of it and embracing it and what well, shoving it in your face. I am not trying to hijack your promotion yeah. here, Max. I've always felt like the conversations, everything on it felt very sincere to me. No, I I would yeah. agree. Yeah. But like the the idea of like the conversations I feel are kind of pretentious. Yeah. But also it feels like the kind of and I believe it's part of the joke mm-hmm. that all the conversation sounds like like you're with someone who's very high and they're trying to talk, unravel the mysteries of life with you. <laughs> and that feels like what the show is about. And I don't yeah. think it's, uh, I think that's on purpose because the mm-hmm. show's like art style is very, you know, psychedelic. Mm-hmm. And you, you said it was uploaded on 420. Yeah. <laughs> we're, still not on, we're still not on that yet. Okay. We'll get there. Okay, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a part of it. I agree with mm-hmm. what you're saying about the, the, the kind of self-awareness of it, but mm-hmm. I, I do believe there's so much sincerity there. I would, I would 100% agree. agree. Yeah. There's a lot of like interesting conversations happening, uh, people being genuine in terms of the conversation. Yeah. Awesome. Huzzah. I need to check it out. I'm, I guess the It's really do. good. I'm here to recommend The Blob. <laughs> Uh, the 1988 The Blob specifically. Max and I have watched this. Max, you love this movie, right? This movie's amazing. This movie's and very, great. very gory. That's the best part. <laughs> I love this movie. I've seen both The Blob movies, the 1958 one with Steve McQueen, and the 1988 one with uh, his name is Kevin Dillon. <laughs> I think his brother's slightly more famous than him. I'm gonna burp. <laughs> Oh dear, pardon me. Good thing you're editing this show. Good thing I'm editing this this very loud episode <laughs> of the show. Uh, this story, it's that B-movie horror monster movie from the 1950s, but it's brought to life into that 80s context. Uh, and, it, and so it's got this kind of, I don't want to say punk rock aesthetic, but it's got this anti-establishment mm-hmm. kind of aesthetic going for Screw it. Screw the man. Yeah. And, and that's actually somewhat present in the 1950s version, but to an extent, like there's this kind of adversarial uh, thing between the adults and the children in that movie that I feel is very much amplified in this version of the movie, except it's more like the government's the bad person now, kind of. 
as, as well as the amorphous blob that consumes everything it comes into contact with. Uh, it's a surprising movie um, in that uh, characters you didn't expect to bite it bite it very quickly, actually. <laughs> uh, and uh, shockingly, it is disgusting to watch mm -hmm. in a way that thrills me to the core. <laughs> I saw like it. an 18-year-old guy just dissolve. Oh my goodness, yeah. It is disgusting and it is beautiful. The special effects, the, the specific, because it's not, it's not CGI. There's a couple stop motion effects in the movie that don't necessarily hold up as well nowadays. But when it comes to these practical effects... This movie is outmatched and outclassed by, or it outmatches and outclasses the majority of things being put out nowadays. It is a spectacle movie. It is entertainment. It has its popcorn moments, its moments of genuine gore, but also there are good human characters in there to, to you know, connect you to the themes and to for you to feel empathy for and to strive and hope they they win in the end. And also, I think this movie is trying to save things. Would you say it is, Max? Like, I, like yeah. maybe it's it's trying to about have, society. About this is a movie about society, guys. <laughs> uh, but I would say that maybe it doesn't necessarily um, live up to those aspirations as much as it maybe thinks it is. Uh, the writer of this movie is oh, I forgot. I'm trying to remember. IMDb is not showing me currently. Because I know... Frank Darabont. Yes. Is that his name? Click on his name for me and tell me all the other stuff he's directed. The Written. Because he's. I think he does a bunch of Stephen King stuff nowadays. Yeah, so he did, he's, the, he's he did known Pet for, Cemetery, did he not? The new Pet Cemetery? He's known for The Green Mile, The Walking Dead, oh, Shawshank right. Redemption. Oh, right. He directed The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Wait, really? He's yeah. a writer. Yeah. Writer. I didn't yeah. know that. Did he not direct those movies or did he just write them? He wrote them. Okay. <clears throat> the the so writer who's the writer again? Frank Darabont. Okay, am I pronouncing that right? Anyway, the writer of the Blob is a man named Frank Darabont. You know him as the writer of the Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, a bunch of Stephen King stuff, uh, a lot of movies that you probably love if you've seen them, and also this really disgusting B movie from 1988 that I don't hear anyone talk about ever. Like, when's the last time you guys have heard this brought up in discussion that wasn't me? Uh, showing it to you in your dorm room, Max. <laughs> I don't think ever. Never. Yeah. So I love this movie. I, lo I love the 1950s one as well, but this one I feel like is just better. It doesn't have that kind of aw shucks, aw geez thing that the, the 1950 blob does. Uh, it has better character development. It's a genuinely entertaining, disgusting movie, and I dearly love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's my spiel. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Uh, my recommend for this podcast is... Your recommend? My recommendation. There we yeah, are. Uh, is Devs. I'm keeping that in, baby. <laughs> uh, my recommendation is Devs, which is a FX limited series on Hulu by Alex Garland. And I'm actually not going to talk way too much about it because all of next week's episode is going to be about it. Oh, really? We're going to do a deep dive on what, Devs. Why didn't I hear about this? I didn't know. You guys definitely did hear about this. Was this in the Discord? It was in the Discord, <laughs> man. You guys should have read that. Oh, wait, I remember we had an entire conversation before the before the recording of this podcast about how we were going to do the next one on Devs. I remember this now. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so Devs is... I. So Alex Garland directed... Um, 
Annihilation. My and, favorite, one of my favorite movies ever. There you go. And yeah. Ex Machina. A which, movie that exists that I like, but not as much as Annihilation. Yeah. But it's also really good. Yeah. Still really good. Um, didn't, he also there, have, didn't he also have something with uh, Dread? He wrote Dread, and if you ask the stars of Dread, he directed Dread. Don't ask the guy who's credited as writing Dread, but if you ask uh, Carl Urban... I believe is his name. He's like, nah, I was Garland directed Dread. <laughs> but like, it's a bit of, uh, there's a bit, there's some tension there. There's a little bit of tension there. Uh, apparently no one liked the director on that movie and they always went to Alex Garland with their questions about stuff to where it got to this point where basically people just say Alex Garland directed it and the other guy didn't. But you know, little backstory, Dread's also really fun. <laughs> Dread is not what I'm recommending though. What I'm recommending. There you go. <laughs> uh, so Debs, it, Alex Garland very clearly is interested in, um, you know, he, he specializes in science fiction, and that, that's what Ex Machina and Annihilation are both focused on in very different lights. You know, um, Ex Machina is much more kind of hard science. You know, it has more to do with a very real, like very real kind of Black Mirror-esque, you know, it's yeah. like, it's this is a very relatively realistic idea that could happen in the next couple decades. Um, Devs is in that same vein, but almost more so. Uh, I really, I don't want to talk way too much about the details. Because we want you to see it for the next episode. For sure. So, watching the series before the next episode would be really awesome. We're going to spoil the whole thing, so. Couldn't talk all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's got a phenomenal cast. It's really incredible. And I think Alex Garland... It, so it's a, it's a limited series, so there's only 10 or so episodes. And I think the it provides more of a long-form format for Alex Garland to play around with. So it really he really hinges that and uh, uses that as leverage to his advantage for the suspense aspect and for the mystery aspect. Um, and... I, I really, really loved it, and I think it, it, you know, you walk away with some really fascinating questions about free will and AI and, you know, everything you want from an Alex Garland flick. So, mm. I'd absolutely recommend it. It's on Hulu, um, and it's very good. That's my recommendation this week. Well, that's amazing. 420. <laughs> <laughs> Max is in on it now. <laughs> Waiting on you. Haven't gotten Waiting on yet. you, Isaac. Waiting on... So this has been Tangent. This has been Thanks it. for joining us this week. Um, as always, you can email us at thetangentcast at gmail.com with your questions, concerns, um, and your hate mail, your love mail. Love mail. I love, um, love mail specifically for me. For Jameson. <laughs> your boy, Jameson. Uh, or you can, leave us a, you can also leave us a voicemail at 479 339 9041 that's my favorite number and you can leave us a message uh tell us what you think about internet discourse or your thoughts about you know the yes. midnight gospel or 420 whatever whatever you know piques your interest so yeah um also, and watch uh, devs before next week's episode we'll yeah. be talking all about it give them that number again yeah the number is 479-339-9041 man i love podcast Ha, 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 ha.